Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Depending upon where in the uh, where this big, beautiful, spinning blue ball you are. Uh, my name is Ken Stearns. I'm the host of Mental Health Today. Uh, also, the host and the creator of the Jar Podcast. You saw a little bit of my uh, kind of my dialogue uh, as we were putting the, the van together that I'm driving around the country in. I've been about halfway through my project of 444 people, 111 cities. And about, you know, right around Christmas time, I took a break and reflected on the uh, first part of it and just overwhelmed with the, the mental health crisis that, that I'd seen in my guests and the struggles that they had to find the right path, uh, to even realize what's happening to them, uh, to get treatment, to get through it. And even on the opposite, on the outside, on the end, um, what their life looks like and looking back on that. And so I thought I'd start the, so I started the JAR Foundation and started this podcast to begin to explore to see what, if anything, uh, that I can do in the corner of my world as I kind of, you know, crawl across this beautiful United States. And uh, the idea of the podcast is to bring people who are passionate about this space, uh, who are in it and doing stuff. And so the idea is to kind of lift those stories up, to lift those voices up, give them a chance to be heard, another platform, uh, even though people are, you know, really probably have got some other access and other, other places to, to talk. Uh, this is one more place and certainly a place where we can gather all the stories and do some interesting things with the data behind the stories. Side, real quick side note, I just did a um, conversation yesterday about taking the transcripts from this show and turning them into a public resource uh, via AI. And so AI can query all the transcripts and uh, you know people could ask anything about the, the uh, Mental Health Today show, about guests or about solutions or about ideas or what we discussed. And there's probably, if, if AI can't figure it out, apparently it'll just make it up. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren Howard's our next guest. Um, a lot going on, very complicated background. Uh, you, <laughs> I've tried to read through, and I don't know, Lauren, <laughs> if you can, if you can summarize who you are uh, in a few minutes, and and a little bit of that passion behind what you're doing, because you know clearly you are, you know, you're a, you're one of these, you're a modern leader. You know, I think I would kind of call you a modern leader. You've got that emotional EQ. You've got the heart led stuff. Um, but also you look like a, you know, you seem like a pretty no nonsense mofo on the business side. Uh, so Fair. <laughs> that's my assessment. Uh, I'm about I'll take that. I'll take that happily. <laughs> hey, you put that in your bio probably and a badass mofo on the business side. Um, Lauren, tell us about yourself. Tell us about you know, your, your business, what you're doing. How did you end up in this space and, and what's the passion all about? Where's that kind of coming from? Yeah, so my background is in uh, behavioral health administration. I ran yes. uh, behavioral health and medication-assisted treatment clinics for about a decade. Um, my my dad was a psychiatrist, and he kind of was the reason that I ended up in this space. Um, okay. And so this is, I mean, when I say this is what I know, it's what I know from Whoa. the time of, of, 
uh, I think, uh, just out of utero. Um, and so uh, I, you know, as I said, I ran clinics for a long time. And then um, I would say my true, the true overlap between my own personal mm -hmm. life and mental health happened probably well after, not well after, but after I left actual behavioral health administration. I mean, it's really easy to see it in everybody else. It's not so easy to see it in yourself. Um, <laughs> well, especially uh, when you're in a, yeah, you're, you're in a whole facility of, of people who are way worse, than, at least theoretically way worse than you. Well, yeah, but then there's also, there's also this very missed aspect of, um, I don't even want to say mental illness because it is mental illness, but just mental health, that you can have mental health needs and still be high functioning. You can still go yes. to work every day. Mm -hmm. You can still have a successful family life. You can still mm -hmm. have friends and relationships and all of those things and still have mental health needs. And Absolutely. I think even knowing that acutely, like I knew that for everybody around me, you know, I, I didn't miss work. I wasn't calling out. I wasn't sick. I wasn't crying all the time. I wasn't having trouble getting out of bed. But there was just this baseline level of, push my button too hard and I will yell um, that persisted for a long time. And that's not to say that I didn't also have really real life stressors that yeah. contributed to that and compounded that. And I think had it been one or the other, you know, it would have been much easier to see and identify and work through mm. at the same time. It was, it was tough, but that said, um, you know, after I, uh, I transitioned from running behavioral health clinics to moving to a startup where I was for a long time. And I learned a huge amount in that environment, both good and bad. Um, and I also learned in that environment, you know, how much, you know, I think we believe that we should be strong enough to not let our environment affect our mental health. Yes. And the reality yeah. is, is that environmental factors are so powerful, especially when you're constantly told that it shouldn't bother you. So not only does it bother you <laughs> feel like you're doing something wrong by being bothered by it, and that magnifies it by like a million times. Um, and so it was it was a really tough situation to be in because I kept going, I feel like all of these things are happening around me and everyone is telling me that I'm crazy for feeling this way. And the reality was that there, you know, there was incentive to make me believe that nothing around me was happening. When in reality, everything that I thought was happening was happening. Was, that, so that was, was actually happening. Yeah, exactly. So it was horrifically detrimental to my mental health. And Ooh. I didn't, and, and, and more than that, as much as what was actually happening was, was problematic and, and yeah. was the impetus of all of it. The next level of that, and this is especially prevalent for women in the workplace, is that we all believe it's only us. We can't tell anybody about this because nobody will understand. Nobody else has been through this. And what I found out when I got out of that environment, when I took some time to reset, which I took me a long time to believe that I deserved because of the kind of impacts of those environments, I started talking about it for reasons I can't explain. I have no idea why I decided I'm going to start okay. writing about everything I experienced on the internet because that's so antithetical to my like wallflower nature. Um, and instead of hearing, having everybody around me just absolutely aghast at this thing or these things that had happened, Everybody around me said, that happened to me too. I thought it was just me. Good God. And that's when it all clicked. I went, it's not just us. We're not talking about it. We operate in these environments that encourage us to be silent yes. when something happens to us. 
and and worse for uh, marginalized communities than even for for myself or um, or males in that situation. But uh, we we are so incentivized to stay quiet because you should be grateful that you have a job. You should be grateful that you have an income. You should be grateful that they'll even consider you as part of their workforce. All of these things that we're taught to believe that we don't tell other people, which creates isolation, which tells us all sorts of lies about ourselves, which creates a further mental health issue on top mm. of what, what already might've been there. And so that was where I really realized that we are not, you know, we are addressing so much of mental health as internal that we are not talking about the impact that toxic workplaces, that bad leadership, that um, that long-term stress, workplace stress, long-term workplace stress is still stress. It's still trauma. We don't talk it's about still trauma because you should be grateful for having a paycheck. And it goes, and so, you know, it's part um, of the job. It, right. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and I say this all the time and, and the number of people who have never considered it because they ha just have been told over and over that, you know, you should be grateful you have a job. Yeah. Hey. Um, a, a paycheck is not a permission slip for abuse. It doesn't <laughs> mean that they get to a, like mentally, or, hopefully, certainly not physically. Yeah, yeah, physically. They don't, get, they don't get to mentally abuse you because they're paying you. Yeah, that's a weird, that's a great way to put it. It's not a permission slip. Like, in exchange for this paycheck, I'm going to put up with this. I agree to a certain level of emotional abuse. Exactly. Exactly. And there's just this idea of, well, if your your leadership is bad or or not good for you or harmful for you, you just have to tolerate it because that's the job. Do you? Do you? People like, leave. People like, leave. And, and so then we start having right? the conversations. And I think this is where a lot of our our foundation for our, our, our company that focuses on, you know, um, redefining professionalism for women. A lot of this came from this idea of, do we have to put up with this? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is no, it is unreasonable to think that every woman's just gonna walk out on her job and go find another one tomorrow or be able to not have a paycheck for weeks, Much, even much harder for women than it is for most uh, yeah. white men in most institutions. So we can't just set an expectation that if you're unhappy, leave. So that's where this process that we've, we've kind of started talking through is this idea of disconnecting from, um, you know, making the choice that I can be in this environment, but I'm not going to let it hurt me. And while I am making that choice to disconnect, I'm going to go look for something else because we can't, we can't talk about protecting your mental health by putting your finances and your ability to support your family right. at risk. Yes. That just compounds yeah. the problem yeah. further. Yes. But there are kind of protective measures that you can take. And we, we talk about that a lot in our communities on our website, et cetera, of, once you notice the abuse, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But that doesn't I, mean you have to flee from it immediately. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, right? Being and there's a there's a lot of empowerment if you're in control of that exit, right? If you exactly. just if you just react and you lose it, then you're spinning, right? You're you're right. send yourself spinning. Uh, but if you plan and you're in, man, imagine the confidence when you're like, I know I'm leaving, and I know none of this can actually hurt me anymore because I've right. put the veil up and exactly. I'm finding great conversations on the outside. I've got my value. Right. Exactly. So powerful. And, so powerful. Yeah. Right. And what, what we, what I found in talking to women about this, I mean, and like we're talking thousands of conversations in the last year or so, maybe not thousands, maybe 8,000 um, 
but like in the last almost three years, mm. um, you know, the conversations that come up it are, it always starts in the same place. I can't, I can't, I can't. If I leave, this bad uh, thing happens. If I get out of this environment, yes. I'm worried about this. All of these things happen. And what we have found from having these conversations over and over is that it's no, 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 yes. Like it's no for a super long time, but when it's <laughs> yes, it's yes. And they're ready to go and they're out and they're ready to change things. Um, and nobody can decide when that yes is. When you Only start opening people's Only eyes to like, maybe you should ask why you're being treated that way. Maybe you should consider that this is not normal. Maybe you should start pushing back on things that make you uncomfortable. Maybe you should start speaking up about all those things. Whatever one of those decisions that they make to start protecting themselves and preserving yeah. their mental health and things like that, those things compound really fast to what I call the glass breaking and once the glass is broken, it's broken. And they're either hunting for a job feverishly and ready to jump ship to whatever comes next. They're ready to set a boundary and be like, yep, yeah, no, we're, this is my boundary now. You're not crossing it. Um, or they're just ready to stand up for themselves. And it, some people, it's fast. Some people, you only have to tell them once that they're in an abusive situation and they go, oh, I get it. And some people, it takes as long as it takes. Very similarly yeah. to what we see in... in um, you know, people deciding to to um, get clean and sober. Like, why do you have to go through awful experiences mm. 12 or 15 times in a row before you finally decide that it's time to get sober? Yeah. Because you're ready when you're ready. And you're that's ready how it you. works for just about everything. And this is, you know, I would hope that um, this is easier to see for most people because that's such a, you know, getting clean and sober is such a long protracted process. But for some people, it's not. People put up for abuse, put up with abuse for a long time, and and internalize it and make it their fault and make it about them. Yeah. When the reality mm -hmm. is, our corporate cultures are garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, the machinery, like you, like you experienced, right? The machinery around you, even the other people, delusional. Whether it's intentional or delusional, everybody else around you is like, no, it's fine. And and it's not fine, right? You know, and so you do find good reasons to stay. You can you can excuse, you can yeah. excuse. A, I mean, some people are very accommodating, right? I mean, so some people are not accommodating. They're like, yeah, boom, you broke the line, we're done. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, that person was going through something, and you know, and okay, you know, and HR is thinking about. They'll come up with a million reasons to. And change is painful, man. Lauren, nobody change is hard. I, I don't even like when somebody gets on a Zoom call on a different background than they were on last time. <laughs> like that's honesty. So yeah, changing your whole life, your whole job, that's super hard. And yeah. then and then there's the other side of it. And this is where this is where and I'm sure this is a problem that many men have as well, but I see it in women I talk to all the time. Those allowances that you're talking about where they say, Oh, well, this person, it was just a bad day. This person, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, he's mean to everybody. It's not just because I'm a woman. He's a jerk to everyone. <laughs> that's not a good, like, that's not, a, that doesn't help. It doesn't make things better. Um, but those are all allowances and kind of personality traits yes. and changes that they'll permit for other people that they almost never permit for themselves. So, mm. oh, you're sick? No problem. I'll carry the extra burden of everything you can't do today because you're sick. Don't worry about it. I got it. But then the next time they're sick, uh, I can't hand this off to anybody else. 
Yes. It's that's too much. They can't, nobody else can handle it. I have to do it. I have to work while I'm sick, even though I covered for all of these people when they're sick. Yes. Yeah. And that is a very female pattern or woman's woman centric pattern of I, I can do everything to my detriment. Yes. Yeah. But I'm never going to make anybody else do that. I will make sure that everybody else is comfortable and well taken care of and supported and all the while suffering internally, but I'm never going to tell anybody I'm suffering because nobody will. I'm definitely the only woman in the world that takes on too much and takes care of everybody. That's, it's just me. Yeah. And it's, I don't think you have many peers. I mean, so it's interesting, right? You get up to the boardroom, you get up to the executive offices and you also, as a, as a woman, you don't have a lot of peers to go. You don't, you know, you can't walk from the CFO office to the CMO office and sit down with another lady and say, Oh, this is what's going on. Are you are you seeing yeah. anything like this? Is it just me? Yeah. Because you, you literally probably got to go to your secretary, or you got to go to right. somebody running running customer or HR, which is then a different animal altogether. Because you walk right. into HR, it's a different. That's not a conversation. That's something else. Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. And I think back over my career, you know, every mentor I had until the last two years was male. It's going to be male. Yeah. Yeah. And it's they and. Male. And I say that as somebody who had great male mentors. They really were wonderful. They, yeah, but it's not a, you know, it's they different. Heap, yeah, exactly. They would heap praise on me for being able to manage small children and run a high-level job and run entire departments and you know keep the kids fed and all these things. But they're heaping praise on basically this mythical creature because they don't <laughs> really understand what that's yes. like. Not to say right. that they aren't involved parents. They are. But yeah. like... When I'm in my house and my kids are somewhere, I can tell where they are, whether I'm standing by them or not. I know where they are in the house. Just That's just a mom thing. I know where they are. They're in my brain all the time because yeah. that's the connection that, yeah, exactly. And so there's this idea that like, when you have really good male counterparts, they're in awe of all you can do. And like, how about we stop expecting women to do that much? don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's, yeah, it's a difficult, difficult problem to solve. Yeah. What do you, on the, on the, um, when people do come out and you, I know one of the things you guys do is consulting for businesses, either people coming, starting their own. Um, what do you, are you seeing anything after the, after the pandemic women are women trying to get out on the, on their own and and open more businesses. I, and I like, Obviously, I'm heavily focused on on women and their success uh, and overcoming some of these obstacles. But I think, mm-hmm. like, if we accept the f- pandemic for what it was, which was global trauma on an irreparable scale. Yeah, that's a perfect. That might be the best description I've ever. Yeah, <laughs> forget like, all the. Forget everything else. It was global trauma. Yeah, like people. There are things that we did pre-pandemic that are either never coming back or they're they're we have a different perspective on them now right like mm. can you imagine this number of people fighting return to office after a power outage before because that's the only reason why everybody would have been moved home is like some massive catastrophic system failure where people had to work at home for a little while they never would have been like we're not going back to the office because we've been home <laughs> for a little while they would have just been like we'll be back at the office eventually like this has reorganized people's brain chemistry. And so what I see a lot of is, Mm. Hey, we like, 
a million people in our country died. Like everybody knows somebody who died of this illness. We have a different perspective on how short life is. We have a different perspective on how important work is in our day to day. And so if you're going to abuse me, I'm going to go somewhere else. And it's a little bit harder now that the job market is not as you know robust as it was a year ago. But there definitely are way more people questioning what's normal, what's acceptable. You know, why did we put up with this before? Um, and like little, like little things. I ask people, like, we haven't gone to a whole lot of birthday parties, but I think back to about going to birthday parties with complete strangers, like three, four years ago. And what do you do at a birthday party? You bring out a cake and the person blows on it. I think in some ways that's designed to like spread germs. It's right, exactly. Like, like, exactly. I, I think, and we're all I think it's like, actually part of the normal. program. This is fine. I'm not eating that cake anymore. But I think that's, <laughs> like that cake, that cake is is everything now. We look at things through such a different lens. We will tolerate so true. such a different amount. And so as much as, yes, I see a lot of women that are like, I'm so done showing up to work in skirts and heels every day. And I want to be at home in my soft pants, which is how we say it. Um, but I also think in general, like there are a lot of men who have realized that they missed heaps of time with their children and they're not going to do it anymore. Um, oh, for sure. It's the socially acceptable thing to do. And then they got stuck in their house with their kids for two, two years and got to see all of the little nuances of how their personalities change in that time. And they were like, Hey, maybe missing this was stupid. Maybe I'm uh, not going to do this anymore. And so I just think there is. I think everybody's chemistry has changed. I think there's like two types of people. There are the people who are like, I'm never going back to that. And then there are the people who are absolutely desperate to go back to it because <laughs> they don't know how to survive in this life. And like, I'm never going to be that second type. If that's how you, you know, if that's how, if that's if, you go for it, proud of you. But if there's, no. yeah, if there's two types, I'm not that type. Yeah, exactly. Well, I look, there's a lot of structure in the office. There's a lot of organization. There's a lot of everything's in its place. You know, things work a certain way. We fought, you know, there is a lot of people that love the order and structure and routine of going to work, coming yep. home. Absolutely. There are people who dine to get back to the routine. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're like me and just like the idea of somebody walking past your desk or your office every five minutes, like will make my head explode. That's my nightmare. I lose so much productivity in an office when I'm yes. surrounded by oh, people yeah. and people come and ask me <laughs> questions. If somebody has a question for me now, I can mute them. I'll get back to them when I can. I can't do that when they're physically standing in front of me. Oh, yeah. My office, when I was a corporate guy, there was literally, I mean, I had a schedule and the schedule, I never, I didn't even control my own schedule. It was literally dictated by the machinery and my, and my PA. And beyond that, there were also people like, you know, hovering around my office, walking by, seeing if I had a minute. Some people just stand there. They got to come in. I need to. It's chaos at the office. You have zero yeah. focus. And not and not to say that those things aren't important. I mean, the ability to interface yeah, with people they're... and just grab them as you're walking past occasionally, like there's value to that. And that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be integrated somehow into whatever this work culture we're emerging into is. But I think we have we have taken the time and you know, I think people who loved the office thought we would all be miserable at home. And they're so surprised by how many of us are very, very happy at home. And we've had to realize, right. We've had to realize that people are not a monolith and you can't use the same rules to govern 
people and get the best outcome out of each person. Like everybody's going to work the way they work in their own environment. And people who don't love remote work are finding jobs that are taking them into the office. But by and large, you know, I would say easily more than 50% of people want to be remote. It's cheaper. It's easier. It's more comfortable, especially if you have um, disabilities hidden or otherwise, if you have small children, if you have, you know, if you have childcare issues, if you like, it just, it just levels the playing field on such a massive way, especially for women. Especially for women, it levels the playing field. I would, that's a, that's an understatement. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people with, um, with disability, people with autism, people with all sorts of things that who are able to be hyper productive in their environment, but you take them out of it and they're not, and they look like, like they're not super effective employees. Like when they're in an office and in the reality is when the reality is if you can keep them comfortable or give them the environment that they need, they're great. I mean, so yeah. why wouldn't we support those people to give us the best outcome they can by giving them yeah. the environment that they need? Like, well, and downtowns are not pretty right now. Nobody, I mean, you know, I was, I still had the struck me was 15 months ago land in San Francisco driving around and an Uber driver, uh, his Chinese guy had moved to the country, but had been in San Francisco for six years driving an Uber. A fancy car. He had built himself a nice business, and he just we we're just at a stoplight, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm moving. This city's dead. Doesn't know it. It's dead already, but nobody knows it. I can see it." He's an Uber driver. He's like, "Yeah, I don't have any." He goes, "No secretaries are coming back. No office people are coming. No." He's like, "What secretary wants to put on high heels, makeup, and a skirt, and pay for dry cleaning, pay for makeup, do hair and nails?" And come down here to this shithole every day. And he's like, it's crazy down here. You've got homeless people running around. You know, they got to they gotta park their car. They don't feel safe. Or they take the subway. And that's definitely not. He just goes off. And he's like, the yeah. city's dead. And, and it's mostly, he was, his remark was getting women back. He's like, forget the guys. Guys will come down here. They feel safe. They're like, they'll take a train. Yeah. They'll ride their bike. They don't care. Um, he's like, but, you know, you're not going to get you're not going to get half the workforce back. They're not coming back unless you double their salaries. And he's like, yeah. you know, and these buildings. So his point was the city's going to, he's like, look at the buildings. They're never going to be full again. Right. No one's coming home. This is a scary right. thought. Well, and also makes you wonder, are we moving people back to the office because it's the best thing for the business or because it's the best thing for the commercial real estate developers <laughs> that, that require occupancy to fill those leases? I, like, uh, it's uh, it's the investment companies which are going to really feel some burn right now. You know, a lot yeah. of people, anybody that made anybody that invested heavy in in offices, which is great, <laughs> which is insurance companies, corporate bonds, government bonds. I mean, it's scary the the the, the impact that, ha- that on the financial side. But I mean, back to the the mental health side. What are you working on? What are you working on now? What's your what's your biggest thing you've got on your on your plate? I'm just looking at the time. Um, what's important to you right now? Um, so we have, we have a number of businesses. We, none of them are directly aligned in the mental health space. And yet every single one of them has a mental health component because I just feel so strongly that there is no way to focus on physical health without 
working on mental health. And so um, we have a physician group that we run, uh, my business yep. partner and I, uh, with 50 state licensed physicians. We're expanding into mental health because everybody needs clinicians. And, and because uh, it's like the lowest hanging fruit, mental health is the easiest to deliver via telehealth. Right. Why wouldn't we do that? Um, our uh, our um, women's community, um, we, we strongly focus on uh, talking about mental health as often as possible. We mm. don't provide direct mental health support, but just having open conversations of being able to say like, I'm having a horrible day today. Why? I don't think it's anything. I just think I'm having a bad day. That happens. That's okay. Can't, can't articulate um, it. Exactly. And just having very open uh, public conversations about, you know, you can, you don't have to be, what amounts to critically ill with a mental illness to have a mental illness. You need to, you know, there are, there are things that don't feel right that we have gotten used to this idea that it's probably fine. that just aren't fine. So if we can open those conversations, if we can have Mm. them more often, if we can say, you know, today's no spoons day and, and have those conversations about things just in general ebbing and flowing, it will remove some of the stigma from, Yes. more severe mental illness. It'll make it easier to talk about. It'll make it easier to find solutions um, and just make things more accessible. I think there's lots of mm-hmm. things we need to do on accessibility um, with the actual oh. care. But if we can at least start conversations in different communities, communities that don't look like me, communities that are are non-English speaking, things like that, about how mental health affects everybody, um, then if we can start pushing those conversations, we'll push more toward people getting help when they need it. And just recognizing that like the, the ebb and flow and kind of seasons of life are that's, that's real. It's valid. It's mm. everybody experiences it. And you're, you're allowed to have good days and bad days without it being a mental illness. You know, my dad always yes. used to say that anxiety is your brain's brain's better judgment telling you there's a problem. But until we start talking about, those feelings on the regular, we won't Mm. normalize these conversations about like, what is just average anxiety? What is just anxiety you should have? Yeah. There should be some level, right? Shouldn't we have like, exactly. An absence of anxiety is a problem. (laughs) I I think that's also, that might be a mental illness right there. Fair. Uh, I'm not sure how I would function without any anxiety. I I just had a, yeah, I had a good chat with this, uh, with a gentleman, Kevin Strauss earlier. And, um, he talked about his kind of view of the world, four types of health, physical health, mental health, spiritual health. And the one he said that is often in his view is mis- is lumped. It's lumped into mental health, but it's a distinct differentiated thing. And it seems what you were articulating is, is um, emotional health. And it's yep. not a mental health issue. It's not a disease. You're not, it's not an illness. You just got emotionally, you are hurt in some way. So some of these traumas, yep which we often articulate right. as mental health are actually just emotional health. Right. Emotionally, you're sl- you're a bit damaged and you need to be repaired. You know, that needs to be kind of fixed or addressed or talked about or, and, yeah. and a lot of that is this, this light emotional health light, or I'm sorry, uh, mental health light, if you will. Right. And conversations we can, he has an app called uni. And um, the idea of the app is to put 10, say 10 people together and it's a closed system. It's not a social media. It's, a, it's basically, you know, it's like a closed group for WhatsApp or a closed chat group. 
And what it does is it enables you to generate 10 questions or borrow questions from the app and you put them into the group and you take your time. Anybody answers them at any, any time they want, but they write their answer to the question and leave it for the, the tribe, the 10 people to sit there and look at it. And you can only see somebody else's answer when you answer a question. So it's vulnerability. You've answered, you right. can see whatever the people say, and then you can add on to other people's so you learn what you learn quite a bit about that person because these are kind of like those card games, you know, we, the, you know, how well do you know somebody kind of thing. Um, and the fact that it's with somebody who you're in a group with and, and a dialogue and attempting to create some awareness or some, you know, some connection. Um, so it's very interesting. Like what you're saying is you could yeah. see it working for some of your clients where you put them into a group and let them, you know, right. and he said it lasts about two weeks. Natural, the natural progression is people, you know, slowly come on and start to see, and then they engage, and you know, then they probably answer all the ten questions, and whoever's going else going to jump in, and then it dies. But there's that that moment of connection, and you've got some some connection, not just a human connection, but this mental connection back to this resource. Yeah, yeah. It was very very similar to what you were just saying. It's kind of cool. Yeah, kind of cool. I mean, I think that's. You know, we know now what it's like to be disconnected from people for long swaths of time. Uh, and we also know that there are people who are fine with it. I I have no problem. Exactly. I, did I have pretty no good. problem doing all of my communication digitally. Like, I don't need to see people in person that often. Occasionally, once in a while, other than that, I'm good. And we also now know who suffers from it. But we, regardless whether we're in person or not, we all need community because community is what normalizes yes. And, and kind of actualizes all the things that we are experiences and feeling. And, and it's what overcomes this idea of, of the lies we tell ourselves in isolation. And so however <laughs> you get that community, however you get it, get it. If, you, if you're an in-person person, great for you. I won't be there. Um, but you can go find your community in a number of different ways. Yes. And that is what helps either bolster or undermine that emotional health, that emotional intelligence. Uh, and if it's, if it's undermined, then it's time to go find a new community. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I can't tell you the difference in my life today when I'm really surrounded by community, most of which I've never met in person. Uh, so and what wild. it was like two and a half years ago when I had none of that and was absolutely, absolutely convinced that I was the only person who had ever felt this way. And you found them because of a moment of vulnerability. Huh? And then several that followed <laughs> and continued. <laughs> several other moments. <laughs> yeah. I, my life is on the internet. Go find it. It's there. <laughs> it was a moment and then it became a tsunami. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and but you had that. In, you, but the first posting you had, you, you got the I'm not alone. And yeah. then it was more then you were broadcasting for other, then it was more of a beacon to bring other people home. It's okay. Yeah. I'm, you know, we're not yeah. alone. And now I have a website about it where we, other women sh share their stories. We have our community where we talk about things like this all the time. We have, we're building on Instagram. We're building on TikTok, like all of these things that I swore I would never do. But the idea of the idea of community is so fulfilling that yeah. we are willing to go find it wherever it is. It's broad and it's broad for the definition is different for everybody, right? Like you, you yep. just said that a few times, which is we're not all, you know, it's not a cookie cutter thing. 
right? Yeah. So people want to be on that place and that's where they're going to find community and get something from it. I'll sacrifice some of my personal values for that as well. <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I mean, my business has me on Facebook, Instagram, and all the other places too. And some of them, you know, I mean, I'm, we're not, we're definitely not death scroll material. Right. You know, we're, we're hopefully people stop and spend not, I don't expect you to spend 30 seconds on a clip, but if you can get 10 or 15 in and take right. a deep breath and not just be a total goldfish, <laughs> you might, you're better than a goldfish. Uh, you can do it. Um, awesome conversation, uh, Lauren. Really, really interesting. I the this personal your personal journey is quite. I mean, there must be thousands and thousands and thousands of women like you. Can't and, imagine. And that's and that's what get honestly that's what gets me out of bed in the morning because I had no I, idea. Yeah, no? And, and it's the effort of trying to trying to reach as many people as you can in a short yeah. amount of time. This yeah. is a part, I think, you know, on the show that I that I mentioned earlier offline, which is that um, that feeling that we've got to move faster, right? This uh, sense of urgency in the space and, yeah. and trying to do, you know, trying to address this stuff as quickly as possible. Um, because, yeah. you know, if we're, even if we wanted to hire 100,000 therapists tomorrow, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to take four years. Oh, yeah. And and there's also this reality that some of this doesn't require a therapist. I, it just requires people to get out of isolation. And yeah. that is not to say that there aren't lots of reasons that every single person can go talk to a therapist. I promise yeah. there are. But Oh, yeah. I'm sure we could all <laughs> probably we could all use a therapist. Yeah. But sometimes the reality just is that we are isolated and isolation lies. And if we can get out of that isolative cycle we can find whatever the right next step is. Yeah. Lauren, thanks so much for being a guest. This was wonderful. Thanks so much for yeah. having me. Yeah. Contributing to the little, the uh, kind of the fabric, the little quilt we're building of uh, just different conversations. And like I said, this will end up somewhere in a database, hopefully, uh, you know, where we can pull out some amazing quotes when somebody's, especially, <laughs> I know, I mean, you can imagine someone's going to type in, I'm a female leader and I'm feeling, you know, like I'm in the wrong place. And boom, yeah. this conversation probably, your name probably pops up, the website probably pops up. <laughs> go talk, to, go talk to Lauren. <laughs> I'm not hard to find, so. <laughs> yeah, like you said, you're on, you know, you're like me. We're not hard to yeah. find. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, supporting mental health today and, and everything we're doing here, getting stories uh, like Ellen's or sorry, it's Lauren's, um, some, you know, some some eyeballs on it and some ears. And Lauren, this will, this is live now. It'll post on all the big uh, Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. And then we'll be I'll send you a note in about two weeks or so uh, when the audio comes out on the traditional platforms. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, everybody. I'll see you in 30 thanks, seconds. Guys. Lauren, hang around real quick. OK. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, loose, baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from Woo. the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're going to go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.